Hi, everybody. Welcome to Trek Trek. I'm your host, Justin Chang, and with me is Randy Nelson. Uh, all powered shields. I don't know. I was trying to come up with something <laughs> Star Trekky to say. Then I realized, wait, they don't really say that, do they? No. Signal red alert. Red alert. Red alert. Uh, arm the phasers and photon torpedoes mm-hmm. for your ears. I don't know. Something like that. Hey, how's it going, buddy? We're not trying to destroy your listeners' ears. Oh, yeah. I guess that wouldn't be the best idea. <laughs> so they wouldn't be able to listen anymore. And we want you to keep listening, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. Uh, I watched this episode of Star Trek Voyager, and uh, it was an interesting episode. Yeah, it was, was kind of different, uh, although kind of the same. I don't know, we'll get into it. Um, That's pretty much the only thing I did this week was watch this episode <laughs> of Voyager, so... um. I got my, my weekly dose of Neelix that I'd been lacking the past couple episodes. Yeah. yeah. Although, although a bit one. Well, we can talk about that in a moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, we might as well just dive right into it. Um, we're going to talk about Star Trek Voyager Season 1, Episode 10, uh, Prime Factors. Wow, we're already 10 episodes into this beast, huh? Yeah, we're, we're almost done with Season 1. Oh, okay. Uh, the original air date for Prime Factors was March 20th, 1995. So the episode opens up in the mess hall. Torres and Seska are eating. Uh, Torres is checking out a guy named Murphy. Like Murphy from Robocop? Yep. Murphy, it's you. Alex Murphy. <laughs> uh, no, just some guy named just Murphy. Murphy, yeah. Seska mentions the Paris and Kim dating the Delaney sisters. Yeah, there's a little revisiting of that. Yeah, a little callback to that. From, what was that, like, episode two, maybe? Yeah, I, I think know. that was One episode two. early ones. It, yeah, it was really early on. Paris has been spreading stories about Harry Kim's date with one of the Delaney sisters. <laughs> yeah, there's some mention about how it's a really small ship or something. The rumors spread fast. Yeah, they went on some date in the holodeck, and then Harry fell in, fell off a gondola. <laughs> and it's kind of made me wish we could see that. Like, I guess they don't really do flashbacks on Star Trek, but I, I kind of would have loved to see Harry Kim goofily fall out of a, go- <laughs> a hollow gondola into the hollow water. Cut over to Janeway and Tuvok, who are also in the mess hall, and Janeway mentions that she's really happy that the crew's coming together, uh, that the Maquis and Federation crews are, you know, they're becoming friends. Everyone's becoming friends. Uh, I think that's kind of foreshadowing. Uh, they're all friends. <laughs> well, I don't okay. know what you're talking about. They're, well, they're all friends. No, everything's great. Yeah. Chakotay chimes in, and uh, the, the Janeway goes to the bridge, and they learn about a ship sending out a distress call. Uh, the the ship flies towards Voyager and comes on screen, and he says, we're sending out the distress call because you are in distress. <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> that sounds kind of ominous, actually, when you think about it. Wait, we're in distress? Yeah, I mean, it, it's like you're going to be in distress because we're going to destroy you. Uh, yeah, he's there to help out Voyager, but... We don't know that until after the opening credits and opening credits happen. When we come back, we learn that the guy's name is Gathrel Laban Ooh. of a planet called Silcaris. Silcaris? Yeah. Silcaris. Silcaris. Yeah. 
I just write these down and then I had to like try to <laughs> sound, re- sound them out. I had to try to remember how they were pronounced on the show. Yeah. I mean, we can't be expected to be perfect uh, at pr- pronouncing these things because there's just so many made up words and places. <laughs> uh, so he wants to come aboard Voyager because he has gifts for them. Hmm. And Janeway's like, oh, okay. We totally trust this dude. Let's sure. bring him aboard. Cut to the mess hall. Neelix is cooking. Kess is there. Um, and Janeway, Tuvok, and Gath, as he likes to be called, uh, mm-hmm. enter. Neelix seems upset that they're interrupting his cooking. He's just never happy. <laughs> he's like, he's, I'm about to serve lunch. He's totally Snarf. He's, he's just always grumpy. <laughs> he sounds like Snarf. He looks kind of like Snarf. It's interesting, Snarf. it's interesting that we see Neelix get angry so often since he's mm-hmm. supposed to be the comic relief. Yeah. Hmm. I'm telling you, there's the dark side. There is a dark side to Neelix. Uh, Neelix tells Janeway that the Sulkarans, Sulkarans are known for their hospitality. Gath said it's, he's heard about Voyager and how and how there are these aliens to the Delta Quadrant who are lost and alone and they need some help. So he says, I will offer you respite. And Tuvok's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. We just we need to go full speed back to the Alpha Quadrant. We're trying to get home. What are you talking about? Quit trying to distract us. <laughs> uh, Kess says the crew could use some short leave. Mm. She's filling her counselor type role. Mm-hmm. Her multi-purpose role, counselor, uh, hydroponics person, uh, nurse, medical assistant. Yep. You know, you name it, Kess can do it. And then Neelix wants to go to till uh Sakaris so that he can get some seeds uh so they can expand their food supplies. Isn't that Cass's job? Well Neelix, you know, he he does the cooking. He wants more uh, ingredients okay. to cook with. Okay. He doesn't seem like a guy who'd just be very well versed in horticulture. I'm just saying. <laughs> he's 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 good at a couple of things. He's apparently he's a good cook. I have not tasted his cooking. Although I have seen what he's made, it includes a really tar-like coffee substitute. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also seems to be really well-versed at taking bubble baths <laughs> and getting really mad and being petty. So there you go. <laughs> also having holographic lungs for a time. Yes. And being really upset about that. Mm-hmm. Well, understandably. They get to the planet surface. Uh, Janeway and Gath are walking around the city. Gath is being extremely generous. He's offering to have clothes made for Janeway, made out of this extremely rare material. Um, cut to Harry Kim, who's also on the planet service. He runs into a woman named Udana, who's working on an atmospheric sensor. And I made the note, they nerd out together. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, it, it reminded me of the TNG episode in a way when... Um, the one where Jordy meets the woman that created the Enterprise D's warp uh, warp drives. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The design of the Enterprise D's propulsion system. Mm-hmm. When he's just kind of like, "Whoa, fellow nerd <laughs> <laughs> of the opposite sex." Ah, I'm excited. Cut to later on on the planet's surface. The Voyager crew is enjoying some festivities. They're out of uniform. They're wearing the local outfits. 
Harry Kim tells the story about Voyager's journey to Udana. She's very interested in stories. Um, she wants him to tell more of his stories. So she takes them to a teleportation pad and they transport to the Lastrian woods, which is, uh, yeah, you know, the Lastrian woods. Yeah. It's, they go into a nice forest area where he, she wants him to tell him, or she wants him to tell her some more stories. And, uh, yeah, this, and this, these Elastrian woods, there's some passion winds that flow in and make you feel <laughs> euphoric. Like, what? Euphoric winds. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, dawn, right? Yeah, it's dawn. And Kim is like, what is going on? I thought it was nighttime. Mm-hmm. Like, you transported this to the other side of your planet? Like, what's going on? And then he notices, what? There are two suns, but, but Silcaris only has one sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, then he realizes they're on an entirely different planet. Uh, mm. She tells him they're on Alastria, hence Alastrian Woods. And mm-hmm. Alastria is 40,000 light years away from Silcaris. Whoa, what another twist. <laughs> Did M. Night Shyamalan make this episode? I know, we've had the your in distress twist. Now we've had the, oh yeah, we have a transporter that can transport us 40,000 light years in the blink of an eye. Udana wants to spend more time with Kim, but he's all business. He's in all business mode. He just wants to know everything about this teleportation pad. Cut to back to Silcaris. Janeway is spending time with Gath, and uh, they're about to kiss. When uh, Kim, ah. Kim being, uh, he's kind of an interrupter, uh, a <laughs> blocker, although I'll, I'll censor that, probably. Uh, <laughs> a space bleep blocker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he comes in and says, Captain, they've got this transportation pad that took me 40,000 light years away. And, uh, yeah, they, Janeway's, Janeway's interested in this now. Right. And Gath or whatever, right? Isn't he like, he's just kind of like, yeah, that's, oh well, yeah. Sh- it's a sure thing. Do. It's, like, I mean, that's. Doesn't everybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this would cut their trip. More than half, because mm-hmm. what is it like seventy light years away? Seventy five thousand, seventy or seventy five thousand. Yeah. yeah, so this would cut forty thousand off. So math. See, I said there'd be some math here. You're right. Math. When you're right, you're right. And you, you're always right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Kim said, "Ask Gath if they can use the technology, modify it to to allow Voyager to transport," but he says. No, our canon of law says they can't share their technology because anyone else could abuse this technology. No exceptions. Uh, back on Voyager, there's a senior officers meeting. Torres mentions that they could shave four decades, four decades off their trip. Uh, Chicote says that if they had the technology, they might even be able to modify it further so they could just jump immediately back home. Janeway says that they're on the other side of the fence made of binding principles. She says... <laughs> Pretty deep. <laughs> she says, uh, yeah, usually when they're encountering this sort of thing, they're talking about the Prime Directive and they can't interfere even though other alien races might need help. And uh, now they need help and uh, they can't get the help that they want. Tuvok suggests that the Sakarans can be reasoned with and uh, maybe even bargained 
bargain with them. But what could they offer the people who have everything? And Kim mentions that they're really into stories. So maybe they could offer the entirety of Voyager's uh, story database, all their uh, books and whatever. Right. So it'd be brand new uh-huh. to these guys. Exactly. Um, Janeway says she'll meet with Gaff. And Torres says she'll examine the platform and try to find out how it works. But Janeway says a firm no, that she's not going to do anything to violate the Silkarans' canon of laws. Right. So basically, she was going to try to check it out and reverse engineer it or something. Uh-huh. Okay. So everyone leaves, but Torres stays behind. Kim asks her what's wrong, and Torres seems very upset. Uh, in the mess hall, Gath is eating pecan pie for the first time. <laughs> That's right. I noted that... Um, the way that Janeway says it, it almost sounds like an alien word. <laughs> she calls it like pecan pie or something like the way she kind of, I don't know, the cadence with which she says <laughs> pecan pie. It sounds like some sort of Vulcan dish or something. <laughs> nope. It's just plain old fashioned pecan pie. Um, she offers up. Voyager's library of stories in exchange for the transporting device. And he says he'll consider it in engineering. Torres and Seska are talking about, uh, or rather Seska is saying, uh, how it's her brother's birthdays come up in four days. And she wishes that she could be there. And, uh, Torres says that they can examine the subspace residue to try to figure out how this technology works. It turns out that technology is used as space folding, mm. which is how they can transport in the blink of an eye. And if anyone's seen Robotech, we know all about space folding. Yeah, right. I mean, it's this concept that you basically bring point A and point B together, like the opposite sides of a, or the opposite ends of a piece of paper, right? Exactly. And normally, I guess the idea is that that takes a ex- extreme amount of energy to perform because you're, you know, folding a giant piece of space together. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so it's different than, basically, it's different than warp drive technology. Right. Which creates a bubble around the ship and makes it so you can pass through. Anyways, yeah, math. (laughs) (laughs) Space folding. Yeah. Captain Global would be very happy to know about space folding. But not the no smoking on the bridge policy that the Voyager has. That's true. (laughs) Uh, Lieutenant Carey chimes in. Remember him? Lieutenant Carey? Uh, he was oh, the one. Oh, the, uh, the other engineer. The other engineer who is, who Janeway wanted to make chief engineer. Mm-hmm. But... And who got beaten up, <laughs> beaten up by Torres a couple episodes ago. Yeah, for, Lieutenant for Carey temper. really reminds me of Miles O'Brien. He really does. I mean, he looks like him. He's got O'Brien's hair. He kind of acts like O'Brien now. Yeah. Lieutenant Carey chimes in and says, I'm with you this time. I want to go home. I have a family back on Earth, and mm-hmm. I want to see them again. Uh, so they figure out that they need to create a bubble of neutrinos large enough to surround Voyager, which will allow them to enter the space fold. Uh, but back on Silcaris, Yudana brings Kim to a secret rendezvous with Gath's assistant, Jarrett. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jarrett says he's willing to make the deal to share the, the trajector, as it's called, the trajector technology, uh, in exchange for the Voyager's library of stories. Uh, with these stories, he'll be able to become a story supplier. 
then he can gain prestige. <laughs> Such a weird plot. Like, well, I guess it makes sense when, you know, you're just meeting all these different cultures. They've got to have some something unique going on. And they just happen to be really into stories. Like, they don't take drugs on this planet. They listen to stories and tell stories. I don't know. In the mess hall, Kim tells Paris, Torres, and Seska about the offer he's been presented with. Uh, and then Kim goes off to meet with Janeway so that he can tell Janeway about it. Paris follows him, leaving Torres and Seska behind. They don't think the deal between Gath and Janeway is going to work. So they think that they should just take the technology. Or rather, Seska says to Torres that they should just take the technology. In Janeway's ready room, Kim tells Janeway and Tuvok about Jared's deal. And uh, Tuvok says, well, they can either deal with Gath, who may or may not give them te- the technology, or they can deal with Jarrett, who they know will give them the technology, and he's willing to break his own laws. But Janeway wants to keep up the Starfleet standard and follow her own principles, make sure everything's above board. So she's torn, because... If she follows her principles, then she'll only deal with Gath. And then if Gath doesn't want to do, do the deal because it violates his laws, then they don't get the technology. They don't get the trajectory. Uh, but she also has a mission to bring everyone back home, which she talked about in the first episode of Voyager, and which has always been the goal is to get back to Earth. So she's kind of she doesn't know what to do. Tuvok suggests making sure that Gath is actually willing to help them and isn't just blowing smoke. So, uh, Janeway goes back to Gath and asks if he's spoken to other magistrates. He seems to be dragging his feet about this. And yeah. Oh, no, they're on, uh, they're all on vacation. Yeah, I'll get, they're all traveling. When they're I'll back, get to I'll, that I'll later. talk to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hmm, I think maybe he's stringing her along. Yeah, I mean, if he pretty much lays it out shortly after, saying that he just wants Janeway and Vo- the Voyager crew to stay on Silcaris. And Janeway says, you're just interested in what's new uh, and what's interesting to you, but we want to get home. Uh-huh. And then Janeway realizes that Gath was never going to give them t- the technology. So she goes back to Voyager and says... All right, pack it up. We're leaving. And uh, Janeway also refuses Jarrett's offer. She's like, I'm not going to go through with that deal either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just, she'd just rather leave than, I guess, you know, potentially get this technology. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, never mind that they're in this situation because Janeway violated the Prime Directive, but, you know... Mm-hmm. She might be compensating. I think she's compensating for yeah, that Yeah, right? I think she's still, you know, kind of trying to compensate for the fact that in the previous episode, she let that uh, character die in the transporter. So, anyways, <laughs> I'm still kind of bitter about that and confused. So, in the mess hall, they're really making use of this set. Uh, Seska and Carrie are trying to convince Torres that they should make the deal with, that she should make a deal with Jarrett. Uh, if Janeway's not going to do that. So they go to the transporter room, but they're locked out. And uh, Tuvok enters, and they think they're in trouble. Uh-oh. 
Uh oh, they've been found out. Oh no. Uh, Tuvok is the one who overrated the security locks, and he made sure that if anyone tried to access it, that he would find out. Uh, but it turns out that uh, Tuvok wants to do the deal. Yeah, that was kind of surprising. Another twist. Mm-hmm, the third twist so far of the episode. <laughs> so Tuvok goes down, everyone's getting ready to leave, Tuvok returns in engineering, he hands the device over to Torres and says, don't activate it until after he speaks with Janeway. And Seska is really eager to use it. She's like, mm-hmm. I just want to run a simulation. That's all. I'm just going to plug it in, see what happens. Uh, they run the simulation and discover they need way more power than they thought they would mm-hmm. to run the trajectory. And uh, right. to- Space folding takes a lot of power. <laughs> uh, yeah, Torres says that the planet's mantle uh, gives them the power to, to use the trajector. So they need to use the trajector before they leave the Silcaris's orbit. Otherwise, they'll never be able to use it. Mm-hmm. And basically, at that point, it also looks like they won't be able to double fold and get all the way back. Right. Because they'd have to find another planet that had, that had a similar um, mantle, mm-hmm. I guess, in order to do that. Yeah, so Seska is like, we gotta use it. This is our only chance. So, they turn it on. <laughs> Uh-oh. Anti-neutrinos. Alright, they never thought about anti-neutrinos. I think that's actually what Taurus says. Yeah. I never thought about anti-neutrinos. Well, they didn't have a lot of chance to study it, you know? They just mm-hmm. plugged it in and see what happens. And, uh, yeah, it caused a warp core breach. <laughs> Whoops. That's not good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it turns out, uh, the device is fused to the, uh, at the mount it's in. Mm-hmm. So, Torres uses a phaser to destroy the trajector. So, yeah, she realizes the trajector would have never worked because it uses anti-neutrinos as the catalyst, which is incompatible with Federation technology. Mm-hmm. So it's all for nothing. Kind of makes me wonder if, if, uh, Gath knew that all along. And just wasn't telling them. Like, well, well, he's a big jerk if that's the case. Yeah, right? He he should have said something. Um, anyway, Seska wants to cover everything up. Uh, Petoras wants to accept the responsibility so that she can live with herself. And Seska notes that Torres has changed. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big change for her. And uh, I think there's also that element of how they were both... Uh, are they still... I guess are, or maybe they're Federation now, but they were both Maquis. So there's that sense of, oh, Taurus is one of them now. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, in Janeway's ready room, Taurus accepts responsibility, but Tuvok steps up and says that he was the one who made the exchange. And uh, Janeway is obviously very upset by this revelation. Mm-hmm. She's pretty shocked. She's very disappointed in Torres, and she says, any future transgressions will mean that you're no longer an officer on Voyager. Mm-hmm. Uh, Torres leaves, and then she speaks, Janeway speaks with Tuvok. And, uh, yeah, Tuvok says that Janeway was never going to, or Janeway's biggest priority was getting the crew home, but her principles would not allow it in this instance. So Tuvok took the choice out of her hands and made the uh, choice for her, and he'll accept any consequences of his actions. 
Uh, Janeway mentions that Tuvok is her moral compass, but now she doesn't know what to think. And uh, she makes an interesting quote uh, that I wrote down here. You can use logic to justify anything. That's its power and its flaw. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty good one, actually. Yeah. And uh, Tuvok says, my logic was not an error, but I was. Okay. Yeah, he, it was his choice. He made a poor decision. Mm-hmm. Logically, it was the right thing to do, but, you know, it's not, wasn't good. No, I mean, in the in the framework of Janeway's, you know, kind of her beliefs and everything, and I guess Federation kind of mandates and laws and such, it was the wrong decision, but logically it was the right decision. Well, in order to get people home as quick as possible is the right decision. Right. It was it was basically, well, is it really harming anyone? No. So let's just do it. And uh yeah, the final shot is of Janeway staring out into space, looking very upset. Mm. And the episode ends. Right. Because she can't apparently can't trust Tuvok anymore, but I don't know. I just I feel like I'm I'm kind of torn about this episode. I like it on the one hand. On the other hand, the I, I wasn't quite sure about how they handled the whole Tuvok thing with um you know, with him doing this and then with her reaction to it. Um and there's just some you know, I, I can appreciate the whole idea of the prime directive and the whole idea of, you know, having values or that you or that these kind of um this, this sort of structure of laws that you follow as being part of the Federation and, you know, not wanting to do anything kind of, you know, sly where you would go and steal the technology. But, I mean, part of me thinks that Tuvok's reasoning and his logic was, you know, was sound and was probably the best course of action because, I mean, it, it's that whole idea of... It's, it's almost like the good of the many outweighing the good of the few or the one. And in this case, the good of the many were all of these Starfleet uh, officers who were stranded 75,000 light years from home in the Alpha Quadrant. The good of the one was Janeway not wanting to, you know, further mess up kind of her whole structure of things with the prime directive by taking something, mm-hmm. you know? It was basically, she was willing to keep everyone stranded, you know, 75,000 light years from Earth, just because she didn't want to do something she didn't believe in. Right. And she, it was, it was another one of those cases where she never brought it up to the crew. Um, you know, she was never like, hey, let's put this to a vote. You know, should we, you know, kind of just take this technology and use it to get home, or should we, you know, be good Starfleet officers and find some other way. Well, I mean, everyone was pretty much on board with getting the technology, right? I mean, everyone that we know of. Yeah. I mean, every everyone besides Janeway and shown <laughs> featured in this episode. And I mean, the fact that that um, Tuvok was even willing to disobey—I guess but he was technically disobeying Starfleet rules by. You know, basically making a deal to get the technology, um, but he even he realized, wait, this is the logical choice: is to make this deal, get the technology, and get everyone home. And it was kind of like Janeway just being sort of, 
I don't know, holier than thou? (laughs) That was preventing it from happening, so. It was interesting that Harry Kim, who is, we, as we know, is super gung-ho about going home. Mm Mm-hmm. He, uh, he brings up the deal to Janeway. Like, he doesn't feel comfortable about this backroom deal. Mm-hmm. Um. I wonder if that's kind of, though, showing that, you know, he's super by the books as well, because he's, you know, fresh out of the academy kind of thing. hmm And so he's kind of the example of, you know, we're, he's fresh out of the academy, and so he's learned everything from the books, and that's all he knows. And then Janeway is super by the books, unless she's breaking the Prime Directive in previous episodes. Um, <laughs> but then you have the McKee, who are basically like, the books never helped us, so we do things our own way. Right. Hmm. And that's represented by Seska, who re- mm-hmm. really do anything to get, to get her way. Yeah. And to get them home and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I don't know. So I read some I read some stuff about, you know, I usually kind of do some research into the background of the episode. Um, a couple of interesting things. First of all, this was originally supposed to be a tie-in to an original series episode about a race of people. It was an episode called uh, Assignment Earth, um, in which the Enterprise travels to 1968 Earth. Uh, anyways, it was a race of aliens that have the ability to kind of transport anywhere in the galaxy. Um, and so the original premise for this was going to be um, the Voyager encounters that same race of people, or race of aliens that have that technology. But they figured most people wouldn't remember that episode. So, you know, right. why do that? Uh, but the other thing that I read about um, was uh, there were a couple of things. Well, one was that the um, what are they called again? The the aliens from this episode? Uh, Sakarians. Uh, oh, right, right. Well, they were supposed to be another um, kind of antagonistic recurring alien race uh, in, in Voyager. Um, but apparently it never never pans out. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> the other was that uh, Tim, uh, Tim Russ, who played Tuvok, had a lot of issues with how they were handling uh, his character in the script. To the point that I think something like two-thirds of the script ended up getting changed based on his feedback. Um because he, I guess he had some major reservations about how, um, just basically why Tuvok would do this. And, you know, it being, it ended up with it being changed from being less of a, uh, a logical move and more of a, he was doing it because Janeway wouldn't do it sort of thing. Or maybe that was his issue. Anyways, um, uh, there was a, there was something about one of the showrunners tell, talking to him and saying, well, you know, you have to be able, like, Tuvok has to be able to make a mistake now and again, because if he doesn't, then the character's kind of dead in the water, mm-hmm. because there's no opportunity. He's just always going to do logical things, and it's always going to be the same, so. Well, well I mean, it, this is the logical thing to do, though. Right. It, it was, but I mean, in a way, it was sort of, I think you mentioned, it was sort of a mistake in Janeway's eyes, at least. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the right thing to do in her opinion, right? But it was the logical thing to do. Mm -hmm. So it was basically, I think it came down to, you know, the, the producer of the show saying, well, you know, Tim, if, if Tuvok doesn't, you know, if Tuvok just always does what Janeway wants, then it's, it's not very interesting. (laughs) So I don't know. 
Um, I just think that... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think it's a real cop-out that the device didn't work. They went through all this, and then it was for nothing, and it it really proved that Janeway was right to not do the deal or whatever. Right, and it just further reaffirmed the idea that, you know, like Gilligan's Island, you know, even when it seems like something good is going to happen and they're going to get home or closer to home, it really can't happen because the show has to run for, you know, however many seasons. Yeah. I think this is another instance where you have kind of like the... the, the, You're um, kind of contrasting this against Battlestar Galactica, where on that show you really did feel like anything could happen on their trip back home, like maybe they would, uh, or their trip to the, to earth where they feel like, you know, you would, you might think if something came up where they're like, well, we might be able to go through this anomaly and get, you know, halfway back to earth or halfway to earth. That might actually have happened. Um, I think it would have been pretty gutsy of the Voyager, uh, showrunners to say, Hey, Hey, how about this? Let's, um, let's let them actually get a win. And have this device work and have them get 40,000 light years closer to Earth. Because, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, that's still... Um, that's still 35 years that'll take them. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't really, like, it doesn't really kind of matter that much. Because in the grand scheme of things, I mean, unless Voyager as a show covers 35 years of these people's lives, you know, they've still got plenty of room to operate within. But if they had ch- if they'd chosen to let them get forty thousand light years closer to Earth, you know they might have the 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 audience the viewers might have said you know we might be sitting here saying like wow that was really gutsy and anything can happen on this show you know what I mean right versus versus now we're we basically have come to accept is anytime they have an it's like what's the point of having an episode where it looks like they might actually get home or they might actually get closer to home because we just know they're gonna cop out not like make that actually happen yeah or they could do something crazy they could they could have them be sent forty thousand light years in the wrong direction yeah i mean that would have been something that would have been interesting too right they would have found out they were like 150 thousand light years from home (laughs) like and then that would have been a lesson it would have been like wow like we really don't know, like, we should be very, very careful because now we're, you know, twice as far away from, from Earth as we were. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I think my math was really wrong there. Yes. It was like 110,000. <laughs> it was, but I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah, I would not be a good Starfleet officer, <laughs> but I would have taken the technology. I mean, so yeah. maybe I'm more of a Maquis. Yeah, maybe know. you are. <laughs> hey, I, I just realized no doctor. No doctor. Episode. Yeah, it was a real bummer. <sighs> Which is like the opposite of there being no Neelix. Well, but the thing is, we got Neelix, and I know. and we got no doctor. We got fortunately, was only a little Neelix, but he was like, still annoying. He was annoying. He was still in a grumpy mood. <sighs> so we got a little Neelix, but we didn't have any you know doctor to balance it out. <laughs> And maybe that's what, but maybe that's what we deserved after a couple episodes of you know no Neelix but plenty of Doctor. That's true. I think I think they're on to us. <laughs> so maybe next episode we'll at least have a good balance. Uh, next week, speaking of, we're going to be talking about State of Flux. Mm. I don't know. That sounds like another time travel episode. <laughs> I don't think it's State of Flux capacitor. Oh, okay. 
It's just state well, of flux. I can handle that. Things are in flux uh, in the world of Star Trek Voyager, which is weird because that show is very much about not being in flux. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah. I think that's the show. Yeah, I think we've done all we can with this one. I mean, it brought up some interesting ideas. The Mm -hmm. execution was not the best. Like you said, it's one of those things where you know what the outcome's going to be. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. I'm just hoping as, you know, we get further into next, into, I almost called this Netflix. As we get Neelix and Netflix and Voyager. As we get further into Voyager, maybe we'll find that they are willing to take some chances at some point, but we'll have to see. Oh, I mean, this is, to be fair to them, this is the first season, so. Yep. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Yep, see you there. In a state of flux. Mm-hmm.